worship team for leading us in worship today. And it's an honor and privilege to be with you all once again this morning. Luann and I are thrilled by the opportunity to be here to worship with uh, some of our family, with Scott and Shelley and the kids, Pastor Phil and Polly. It's an honor to be here with you. And also to have our good old friend, Joe. Joe Reyes, who is here this morning, was a member of the youth group that Luann and I led back when we were first married, back in 1975. That's how far back we go with Joe. And it's great to, to see how God continues to lead in his life. And we had the privilege to introduce he and Rita. Rita, who was the director of Choices of the Heart which is a pregnancy resource center located in Washington Township. And uh, so, Joe, it's great to have you here today and Pastor Phil to, to be with you all. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse... We're going to be looking at verse 13 this morning. I would love to read uh, this whole... the verses leading up to it and following, but in light of where I believe God has led me in my message this morning, I encourage you to read the surrounding context later. I'm praying that my thoughts are, uh, have been uh, shaped in light of the context. And let me begin with this. What I'm going to be talking about this morning is what it means to spend time with Jesus, which is what we see is um, described as how Peter and John are described. So let me read verse 13 and, and begin to share these comments. Verse 13 of Acts 4 says this, And when they, they meaning the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, I, I've been, as I've been studying this passage, I've been thinking, um, you know, when my time comes to go to heaven and if I were to be my remains buried in a cemetery locally, what would I want on my gravestone? I would want it to be something like this. It was apparent that this guy, his remains in this grave, had been with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? What a way to describe these guys. And by the way, let me just begin with this. The topic of spending time with Jesus is incredibly important and yet profoundly challenging. And to say that I feel unqualified this morning to speak on this matter is an understatement. However, I'm going to step forward and share with you what I've learned today in the hope that it might resonate with you and encourage you in your own journey to spend time with Jesus. And please understand this morning that I'm a fellow struggler with you in this. I don't have all the answers, nor have I mastered the practice of spending time with Jesus. But I'm committed to be engaged in this journey alongside you. 
During my three previous visits, as Pastor Phil said this morning, we've looked at various aspects of Peter's life. And today we're going to dive into this passage, which I believe is a pivotal scene in the early days of the church. We're going to dive into this verse where an average guy by the name of Peter transforms into what I believe is a superpowered, by the way, by the Holy Spirit, advocate for his beliefs. You see, in this verse, we see Peter, once a simple fisherman, now stepping to the plate, standing firm, and speaking out in front of the powerful leaders of his time. You see, Peter was no scholar, no high-ranking official. He was just a regular guy who, by the way, as we saw in a previous time together, had once denied his friend Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. But here in Acts 4.13, he is a changed man, unafraid and unashamed, standing up for what he believes in. So before we get into the text, I just want to try to briefly answer this question. Why is this important for us today? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Well, you see, just like Peter, we all have our own hurdles and fears to face, don't we? And let's be honest, the world out there is pretty intimidating. You may feel like you are not smart enough, not brave enough, or simply not good enough to make a stand for Christ. But this morning I pray that this story about Peter's life will show you that it's not about where you have come from. And it's not about where you're headed and what you're going to do when you get there. It's about how an ordinary person like you and me can do extraordinary things when you and I spend time with Jesus. So let's unpack this passage together this morning. The early chapters of the book of Acts capture, obviously, the early moments of the church. And there are many things that happen in the first three chapters of the book of Acts. I don't have time to get into all of them. I encourage you to read that for context later. But there are two special things that happen before this incident that we're looking at today. The first is found in Acts chapter 3, which is the healing at the beautiful gate, or the gate beautiful. Here, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, were on their way to the temple to pray. And they encounter a lame man, a man who was born lame at birth. And he's begging at the temple gate called beautiful. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declared that he didn't have silver or gold but instead offered to this man what he had, to be healed in Jesus' name. The man was miraculously healed and began leaping and praising God, and that drew a crowd. So we see later in Acts chapter 3 and into chapter 4, we see that Peter took advantage of the situation, and Peter delivers a powerful sermon attributing to the healing of this man to Jesus, whom the people and their leaders had crucified. 
And Peter calls them to repentance and to conversion. And it's this public declaration of Jesus as the Messiah and the call to repent that didn't sit well with the temple authorities. And so beginning in chapter 4, we see that Peter and John find themselves arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin to explain how they did this. And despite the fact that they're just ordinary guys with no formal religious training, they boldly testify about Jesus. And that got them in trouble. So let me just share with you just a little bit about the Sanhedrin. And I'm sure you've heard about them before, and Pastor Phil has shared this with you. You see, the Sanhedrin were the religious bigwigs of their day. There were, seven, they, there were 71 of them in this council. They were headed by a high priest with elders, scribes, and chief priests. It was a mix of Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were the major religious decision makers of their time. However, they also had to play by Roman rules, and especially in serious cases like Jesus. So you know, as I, as I was thinking about the Sanhedrin and, and this trouble that Peter and John had gotten into, I thought to myself, this is really not any different from what we're dealing with today. It's like the Sanhedrin in Peter and John's day, they were part of what we might today call what? The cancel culture. You're familiar with, how many, of you, how many of you are familiar with the cancel culture? Anyone here been canceled? Yet? Maybe during your lifetime. But see, this is what the Sanhedrin were doing. In the, the Sanhedrin, this, they sought to threaten Peter and John and tell them that they couldn't speak in Jesus' name. It's kind of what the cancel culture does, isn't it? where people or entities are publicly boycotted for offensive actions or opposing viewpoints, often without a chance for explanation or a constructive dialogue. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, very popular um, conservative spokesman out there who was canceled. Actually, he's being rebuked and he's being re-educated by in the country of Canada, if that gives you any suggestion of who, who that might be. You know, there's a lot of that going on. Cancel culture is usually, it usually involves a rush to judgment and a mob mentality that can lead to severe consequences. And you know, you and I, as Christians, it's important that we approach situations like this with grace. Now, that's hard to do when we're canceled, isn't it? To respond with grace. But I believe that's what God calls us to do. You see, the Bible calls us to speak the truth in love and to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. By the way, the person I was listening to yesterday on the podcast, he sounded pretty angry, which is understandably so. All of that to say, in the culture in which we live today, we need to be prepared. We need to continue to be prepared for opposition or persecution because of our faith. So with that as a little bit of background, let's dive into this passage. Once again, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note, 
that these men had been with Jesus. The first thing I'd like for you to note in this is, first of all, the courage of Peter and John. You see, as Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin, they have the audacity to speak with eloquence about what they had seen. You know, in modern terms today, in, in our modern context, I would, I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but I would not, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the Sanhedrin might be similar to our Supreme Court. Could you imagine any one of us in the room here preparing to speak before a group like that and just standing up and sharing from our heart? You know, for me, I would spend many sleepless nights preparing what I may say. That would be pretty intimidating for me, but not for Peter and John, because they had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John, as we know, were fishermen by trade. They didn't have former educational credentials. Their boldness was not derived from the books that they had read, from the sermons or the speeches they had prepared. They had not sat under the tutelage of famed scholars in their day. But you know, they had some, something far more powerful as their foundation they had first-hand experience of being with the Messiah. They had witnessed his miracles. They had absorbed his teachings. And most of all, they had walked with him and been transformed by his resurrection. That is powerful, isn't it? And that gave them boldness to proclaim Jesus as the foundation, as the source of salvation. And that was the crux of their message. It wasn't a well-reasoned theological argument. Instead, it was a raw, unfiltered testimony of what they had seen and heard. You know, as I, I was thinking about this, it reminded me of something that I read or heard sometime in the past. And that is that God's ways often defy human expectations. God's ways often defy human expectations. What, explain, what explanation could there be for these two guys, ordinary guys, standing and boldly declaring this message before this august crowd of people? It was because they had submitted themselves to Jesus. They had been with Jesus. You see, our world places a premium on formal education, valuing certificates and degrees and academic achievements. I remember back in the days when I was getting ready to graduate from Philadelphia College of Bible. I wanted to go to seminary. A lot of my classmates were going to very, very famous, well-known seminaries, and they submitted their applications, and they went to these seminaries and uh, which I, you know, I was kind of jealous of them because, but you know, then I decided I'm going, I already have a, we already had a ministry in a local church, Falcroft Union, where we met Joe, 
and I had a ministry there serving under the pastor. We chose to stay there and go to a local seminary, what was called Biblical Seminary at that time. It's now called Missio Seminary in Philadelphia. I was talking to one of my profs from PCB a, few, a couple years later. He was speaking at a youth retreat. And I was sharing with him how I felt that I ended up going to a second-rate school compared to some of my classmates. He asked me what I was learning. I told him I was learning the original languages and uh, so about what some of my profs were teaching me. And he encouraged me that, you know, that's exactly what these guys are getting at these other schools. But you are getting a much more educa better education because you're serving under a local ministry, a local pastorate. And hopefully because I was spending some time with Jesus. You see, that's what these guys were like. Education is valuable, but Peter and John's encounter with Jesus was far more valuable. God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called, doesn't he? God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. And I hope that you are encouraged by that today. What I want to do is look a little bit more into this transformation that Peter and John go through and what happened to them that turned them into these courageous disciples. You see, at the outset, Peter and John were just like the other disciples. They were eager to serve and walk with Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. But yet when they were faced with danger and the threat of persecution, they kind of fell apart, didn't they? I've already mentioned what Peter did as he denied Jesus three times on that night of Jesus' arrest. John does something similar. When the heat is turned on, when Jesus is arrested, John leaves the scene as well. John and the others hid in a locked room, uncertain of their future. However, after Jesus' resurrection, and as the disciples spent time with, them, with Jesus, their lives were transformed. And I want to encourage you this morning that that is exactly what can happen, and that's exactly what happens to you and I as we spend time with Jesus. Because you see, what's remarkable about what happens to Peter and John here is that their transformation is accessible to us as well. As I've already said, they're ordinary men, but their transformation was not a result of their own merit, but it was the gift of God's grace, fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you this morning, though no matter what your past failures have been, no matter what your fears are, no matter what you think your inadequacies may be, God is in the business of transforming each one of us. So you know what that means? None of us here this morning have an excuse. God is in the business of transforming each one of us, no matter who you are. And as you draw close to him, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in a moment, as you seek to walk in his presence and be filled with his spirit, you too can move from wherever you are to become one of these disciples that makes an impact for the gospel. 
Notice this text says that they were unschooled and ordinary men. I was talking with someone here this morning about being from Jesus. This is really encouraging, you know, about being from West Virginia. This is really encouraging to people like me who grew up on a farm. Definitely unschooled and an ordinary guy. I really felt... Um, I had, a, I had a real identity crisis growing up because most of my friends lived in the town. They were the cool guys. I was one of the kids who grew up, who grew up on a farm. I milked the cows before I went to school. I, so I was not a part of what was the in crowd at that time. You know, I was like one of the second rate. I didn't get invited to the, to the best and the popular clubs at the high school. I got invited to the others. And so I could definitely relate to this. You see, this idea of being unschooled does not imply a complete lack of education. Instead, it suggests that Peter and John had not undergone formal rabbinical, rabbinical training, a common path that many Jewish men took at that, took at that time. Instead, they acquired their knowledge by being in direct contact with Jesus. And you see, what this verse points out to us, it, is, it underscores the transformative impact about being in the presence of Jesus. And so what I'd like to talk with you a little bit now is about the impact of spending time with Jesus. What does it mean to spend time with Jesus? What did it mean for them to spend time with Jesus? What does it mean for us? A few weeks ago, Phil and I, Pastor Phil and I had the opportunity to meet over in Washington Township, and we had lunch together, and I shared with him a quote that I had discovered and as a result of the study I'd already been doing. And this quote comes from a gentleman by the name of Jerry Bridges. And I so appreciate this quote because as a former pastor going to a lot of schools out of high school, Bible college, and two different seminaries for a couple different degrees, I have spent quite a bit of time with quote-unquote religious people. And so I have witnessed some of this, and I have tried to the best of my ability to do avoid what I'm about to describe to you. How's that for a disclaimer? You ready? So this is what Jerry Bridges says in his book, Holiness Day by Day. He says, the life of the godly person, this desire for God, in the life of the godly person, this desire for God produces an aura of warmth. Godliness is never austere and cold. Such an idea comes from a false sense of legalistic morality erroneously called godliness. And then this is the part of the quote that really convicts me. The person who spends time with God radiates his glory in a manner that is always warm and inviting, never cold and forbidding. Unquote. Wow. Did you get that? Let me read that last sentence again. The person who spends time with God radiates his glory in a manner that is always warm and inviting, never cold 
and forbidding. Unquote. You see, I've been around a lot of people who have a lot of degrees. And they kind of let you know that they have those degrees. I've been around a lot of people who act like they spend a lot of time with God. But they don't really exude this kind of warmth that Jerry Bridges is talking about. So what does that mean? What is Jerry Bridges getting at here? Let me try to explain this a little bit. You see, the phrase, they had been with Jesus, encapsulates the essence of their experience. Spending time with Jesus shaped their character and their knowledge and their boldness in a way that defied the expectations of their day. F.F. Bruce, uh, one of the great commentators of the previous generation, he, put it, he, he, he writes about what they're getting at in this passage of Scripture in Acts, the writer of Acts is getting at. And he notes that apparently Jesus had imparted something of this gift in his disciples. He had pardoned something of his teaching gifts and also his gifts of healing. And he says that the writer Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wants us to note that not only had these men been and had been influenced by, by Jesus, but somehow in some way, Jesus seems to still be with them and in them. Not only was their manner suggestive of Jesus, but it seems as if Jesus had never left them. Isn't that amazing? He was still building his church just now through his spirit in his disciples. Unquote. And I would submit to you that that is still true today. Jesus has not left us. He is still with us. So we need to be spending time with Jesus. I have so much to go through in this uh, message, but I'm going to just speed through a little bit of this and just give you just a little glimpse into how their lives had changed because they had been with Jesus. These are some of the ways Peter and John's lives had been changed because they had been with Jesus. Their spiritual understanding had been changed. Being in the presence of Jesus allowed Peter and John to grasp deeper truths about Jesus. Their courage and boldness had changed. The impact of spending time with Jesus is evident in their courage. They were unschooled, but yet they fearlessly proclaimed the gospel. They were changed in regard to their authority and their credibility. Through their association with Jesus, they gained authority and credibility as messengers of the gospel. Their empowerment. Jesus' presence empowered them to perform miracles and acts of healing and other miracles. The transformation of their ordinary lives. Their time with Jesus transformed them from being ordinary fishermen into influential leaders. We could go on and on and on in the ways 
these men's lives had changed because they had been with Jesus. But what I'd like to look at now with you, and maybe what you've noticed is, this, this message is kind of like a funnel. We began, I, I mowed my lawn yesterday, poured some gas into my mower, used a funnel to do that. That's kind of like what we're doing here. We've looked kind of like at the bigger picture and we've been going down and focusing more and more specifically. So what I'd like to do now in the rest of my time with you is to share some application of this to our lives. What difference should this make in our lives? What difference should being with Jesus make in your life and my life? And let me just share with you as a former pastor, I pastored a couple churches over my 25 years of ministry, and I also had been a denominational executive for a while, overseeing 100 churches covering six states. You know, one of the things that I had wished, I had wished, and I still wish, because we still attend a church I previously pastor, as long as I'm good, stay in line, I wish more of our people would prioritize spending time with Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be with Jesus? This phrase, being with Jesus, what does it mean? Obviously, it doesn't mean physically spending time with him. Went for a walk this morning. I spent some time with Jesus, but I walked through our community. We live in a 55 and over community over in Gloucester Township. Some people saw me walking. They did not see Jesus physically walking beside me unless they were on a certain drug or whatever. But I spent time with Jesus. You see, being with Jesus does not mean physically spending time with him. But this is what it means for you and I. It means diving deep into scripture, spending time in prayer, living according to his teachings, and actively seeking to know him better. That's what it means to spend time with Jesus. By the way, you know what? That is something every one of us here in this room can do this morning. Spending time with Jesus is not just for the elders and the pastor or the elders and the elders' wives and the pastor or the leaders or the worship team. This is something every one of us here can do this morning if you know Jesus. Being with Jesus is about developing an intimate relationship with him that reflects in your actions and decisions and interactions with others. I'd like to briefly ask you to turn to John 14. John 14, 4 and 5. I'm just going to introduce this idea and encourage you to flesh this out more on your own. But in John, 4, I'm sorry, John 15, 4 and 5. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what it says? Apart from me, you can do a lot of churchy stuff, but not everything. It's not what it means. That's what it says, is it? He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me share with you a couple things about what it means to be with Jesus as the scribes here. You see, Jesus describes being with him in the sense of the vine and the branches. You cut off a branch, what happens? It dies, doesn't it? Because it's not connected to the vine. So by positioning himself as the true vine, what Jesus is doing is he's making a significant observation. He's saying that he is the genuine source of life, of spiritual sustenance. And that's what it means to be with him. And he describes it in the sense of abiding with him. This idea of abiding, it has the idea of a deep, continual, mutual indwelling. You see, to abide in Jesus is not a passive act, but an active commitment to stay connected to this true source of spiritual life. And he, he describes this in the sense of dependence and fruitfulness. He says, no branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. We are utterly dependent in our spiritual lives on spending time with Jesus. And so what does that mean for us? True spiritual productivity and vitality come from a relationship with Jesus. And there's some other amazing things in this section. You know, as I've already pointed out, apart from you, me, you can do nothing. What happens when we, can, when we disconnect from him? We don't become fruitful anymore, do we? We become like we are, spiritually dead. And you know what's amazing? And I observed this back when I was in Bible college. Me and a couple friends, we would meet on the fourth floor every night. One of my friends, he came home from Allentown, and we would go up to the fourth floor. He would bring home his big tin of Charles chips back then, and we would have our Oreo cookies, and we would eat from that tin of chocolate, of potato chips and those Oreo cookies, and we would talk. We would solve all the world's problems as they were defined back in the early 70s. But you know one of the things that we observed, and that was this. Bible college, and I would say this morning, the local church is the easiest place for you and I to backslide, isn't it? Because you see, you and I can engage in religious activities without a true connection with Jesus. And these actions will lack eternal value and spiritual efficacy. You see, we can do all the churchy stuff and not be vitally connected to Jesus. And that's really scary, isn't it? Because what happens then? We begin to drift spiritually. And the further we drift, the more dangerous it becomes. I think all of us who are have learned to drive and who drive, we know what happens when someone drifts. We see it on the highway when someone is driving. I see it all the time, driving up 42 and 95 and the Schuylkill Expressway and the Roosevelt Boulevard. The dangers of drifting. 
You see, when you drift spiritually, you end up in another lane, the wrong lane. That could be, you could end up in a head-on collision, spiritually speaking, which would really be dangerous for you spiritually. I think all of that is contained in this. So therefore, to be with Jesus, let me just summarize this once again. It means more than just believing in his existence or acknowledging his teachings. It means actively dwelling in him, drawing from him, and producing fruit as evidence in this connection. You see, the vine and the branches. This metaphor, it contains two features. There's an invitation, and there is also a challenge. The invitation to you and I is to enter in and to exist in a life-giving, transformative relationship with Jesus. And what is the challenge? The challenge is to continuously abide in this relationship, recognizing that any efforts apart from him are fruitless. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, how does being with Jesus change us? Well, let me just share this with you very quickly. There are two things that are really necessary for you and I to be with Jesus. And the first has to do with our relationship with Scripture, with the Bible. You see, for countless believers worldwide, for centuries, this is how we grow in our relationship with Jesus. You see, the Bible, reading and studying the Bible is not merely, merely an academic or spiritual or intellectual exercise, but a deeply spiritual and transformative one. You and I need to be in the Word. That's one of the things that I love about spending time with your pastor. Your pastor loves the Word. He and I, we met together a couple weeks ago to talk about my message. He gave me a three, page, three pages of notes from what he had been learning as he had been going through his passage himself. He wasn't preaching on this passage, but he had been spending time in this passage. Half of it was handwritten. The other, I think one page was uh, printed out. He loves the Word of God, and he loves to teach it. I want to share with you that that is the secret for every one of us in this room. I want an example of, that you have of a pastor who models that in his own life. So you want to learn how to be with Jesus, follow his example as he teaches the word of God. He will be the first to tell you, don't say that, don't follow my example because we're all human, aren't we? But what an example of someone who models what that means. That's what you and I to, need to do. That's how we gain a deeper understanding of what it means to be with Jesus. We need to be meditating on the Word of God. Let me encourage you to Google this. What is meditation on the Word of God like? It means to ruminate on the Word. A, 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 an example of this, and I encourage you to Google this. Google what it means for a cow to chew its cud. You got that? Cud, C-U-D. You know that, you know what it, does anybody here have a clue as to what that means? I see a couple hands. Thank you. This is what a cow does. 
after it eats. It has a couple different stomachs, and some of what it eats will come up. And you know what it'll do? The cow will continue to chew on that. And I used to, after milking, this is what I did as a kid. I would go around in front of the cows in the barn, and I'd just sit and stare at them as they did this thing with their mouth. They dis, they, their jaw, it's like their jaw dislocates as it goes around and it chews on its cud. That's what it means to chew and to ruminate on the Word of God, to memorize a passage and then just to dwell on that and let it sink into your thoughts and especially into your heart. That's how we become transformed by spending time with Jesus. And the more you do that, the more you become like Jesus. I came across this quote the other day. Charles Spurgeon described what, who John Bunyan was like. Any of you, the name John Bunyan, is that familiar to you? Any of you read Pilgrim's Progress? What an amazing book. This is what Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. Read anything of his, John Bunyan's, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it until his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why this means is a living Bible. You prick him anywhere. His blood is bibbling. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you. Isn't that amazing? If only that would be said of each one of us. So we're, we spend time and we live, we are with Jesus in the Bible and we are also in prayer. Through prayer you enter into communion with Jesus, experiencing his presence, conversing with him, spending time with him and sharing your heart and sharing your gratitude and praise with him. That's how you deepen your relationship with him. I could go on and on with that, but I'd like to close with this. There's a wonderful quote by a uh, writer from previous, a previous generation, well, several generations ago. Her name is Teresa of Avila, and this is what she said. She wrote extensively about the spiritual journey, and at one point in her writings, I think she shared something that really... It summarizes the transformation in Peter and John's lives from being with Jesus. And this is what she said. The closer one approaches to God, the simpler one becomes. The closer one approaches to God, the simpler one becomes. You see, I think in that quote, she's summarizing what spiritual transformation is like. The more time you spend with Jesus, the simpler you become. You shed all of the unnecessarily worldly attachments and desires. And that transformation leads to a simpler life. 
It describes your true essence. By drawing nearer to God, you connect with your core essence, which lets go of self and with ego and material pursuits. Spending time with Jesus, it, it shapes your priorities in different ways. You're less concerned about worldly priorities and about spending time with Jesus. I think it describes humility. You be spending time with God fosters humility. The more time you spend with God, the greater you realize He is. And the littler you realize how you and I are in His presence. You see, in essence, what she observes suggests that being with Jesus results in a life that is uncluttered by unnecessary complexities and is characterized by purity, clarity, and simplicity, which I think perfectly describes Peter and John in Acts 4.13. So as I close and as we move into our communion time, I would encourage you to give thought to what it means for you to be with Jesus. And I pray that you may grow as you spend time with Jesus. And I pray that you and I, that this church, the churches around us who love Jesus, who love the word of God, would, make, would continue in far greater ways to make an impact for the gospel because we have been with Jesus. I'm going to like ask the worship team, I believe, to come up at this time and as they're coming up I'll close in a word of prayer or I'll close this part in the word of prayer Father we thank you for this passage today and Lord my desire as I realize I so fall short of what I've described in this message today but Father my heart desire is to grow to understand more of more and more of what it means to be with you. And Father, I pray this for each one here today who knows you and who loves you. Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, Lord, his blood paid the penalty for our sins. It made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we may grow in that relationship so that it can be said of each of us, look at him, look at her. It's obvious that they're spending time with Jesus. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.